Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. On today's episode of the Writerflex podcast, we have guest Gertrude Allen. She's the CEO of PetPlate. PetPlate is widely respected as a pioneer in the fresh-cooked pet food category, one of the fastest-growing categories in the $35 billion pet food industry. Gertrude Allen on the Rider Flex podcast today. How are you doing, Gertrude? I'm doing well today. Thank you. How's the uh, weather in New York? Is it, uh, is it spring? Is it, what is it, what's it like today? Uh, it's still a chilly spring, uh, like weather. We're hoping for warmer days ahead, um, but it's and and we've gotten a fair amount of rain, which which is normal for April. Um, okay. So April okay. showers bring May flowers. <laughs> Are you looking for? You've been trapped in your apartment there for a little while, I guess, in New York. Yeah. You looking? You looking forward to getting out? Hopefully, pretty soon. Uh, definitely. I mean, at the same time, we're really because we are in the epicenter of this right. crisis in New York City. Um, and I'm actually, our, my home base is in Queens, which ah. is the epicenter within New York City. So it is really still very risky to, you know, kind of contemplate, you know, having society open up. Um, I know they're doing that in some parts of the country. I think we're kind of a long ways off still in New York from that York. happening. Yeah. So yeah. we're just as a family and as a, as a, as a company, a business, we're still just trying to um, really settle into a new, this new routine of working from home and trying to enjoy ourselves, you know, from home and not being, not looking too far ahead just yet. You know, it was interesting, by the way, for the listeners, we're recording this on April 23rd, 2020, in case somebody's listening to this two years from now and they're wondering what the hell we're talking about <laughs> right in the middle of the coronavirus. Interestingly enough, I, I always thought virtual happy hours with friends would be weird. But now that I've done a couple of them, it's actually not bad. I, uh, I'm yeah. getting used to that. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's safer. But uh, being in Colorado, um, which is definitely, quote, an outdoor state, so to speak, lots of activity, whew, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, getting, getting out of the house a little yeah. bit. I hope, I hope soon. <laughs> sure. uh, give, us, give us, before we get into Pet Plate and all the business stuff, can you talk to us a little bit about you personally and just tell us about Gertrude a little bit? where she grew up, maybe some family stuff, and then uh, where you went to college. I know you went to NYU. And just talk about your early life, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, so I grew up on Long Island. Um, I'm one of five children, very tight-knit family. Um, we had wonderful parents um, who made our lives really fun and exciting and um, actually brought us into the city a lot, you know, from, from Long Island where we lived. And so um, I, that's one of the reasons I, I went to NYU. I was exposed to the city from a young age and I found it really exciting compared to suburban life. So when the, you know, when it came time to go to college, I thought what would be, you know, what would be great is to just marry those two worlds, you know, being able to live in the middle of a big city, have access to some really great internships, which is something NYU right. really focuses on. 
and at the same time get you know the um, experience of a really established university and so I really loved it and um, you know I moved into the city when I was 17 and um, I did study journalism I specialized in public relations um, everything was analog <laughs> back then um, we barely used computers and um, and then I did start my career in public relations um, and I moved in I actually moved to Europe just within like a year or two of graduating college mm. and and spent most of my 20s in Europe which I, I loved and um, it really broadened my horizons and um, I'm so glad I did it because you know as you get older those opportunities become more challenging you know when you have family and stuff so I'm, I'm really happy I did that it must have watered down your your Long Island accent just a little bit. I mean, I actually I knew you were a New Yorker by talking to you in the first five minutes, but I didn't <laughs> I didn't quite hear the Long Island until you started talking about it, and then it came yeah. out just a little bit. It's true, <laughs> lost it. Yeah, I mean, I used to remember. I remember having friends over, especially the friends from abroad, and they there were members of my family they couldn't understand because that <laughs> the Long Island accent was so thick. Yeah. Right. Right. And so yeah. So uh, talk about your career then. So really, it was journalism slash marketing slash communications. How did you? How did that roll into? working for VC and, and things like that. You know, how did that transition happen? Walk us through some of that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the journalism really um, was just a great base background for doing public relations, right? So talking to journalists about, you know, products and services that, you know, I wanted to promote for my clients. But that wound up, um, especially when I moved to Europe, um, I wound up going more into business development. So I worked for a, a very large PR agency and I really helped them set up a network of agencies across Europe, Middle East and Africa, tied mm. them together so that we were able to pitch pan-European business and international business. Um, and so I was working more on, on, you know, kind of the, you know, biz dev slash marketing front for the PR agency. And that's really how I kind of, I guess, got more exposure to just, marketing in this case a service but also you know when you start to grow um you know i was bringing in new business so i was also having to kind of set up you know teams to run the business and you know that you're kind of running like little business units within an agency gave me some exposure to sort of working you know more let's say on you know growing a business and and from there i decided you know after 10 years of working on the agency side Mm -hmm. with various size agencies in the US and Europe, I wanted to then try my hand at working on the corporate side, so directly working for companies. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I would, when, when I got hired, I was generally like the first business hire inside of, you know, a company that, you know, if it was technology, had lots of engineers, but didn't have any business people yet. And so I was pretty early in um, some of these companies where I was helping to really build out like the entire marketing department, that sort of thing. And again, you know, that was helpful in making me understand like what it really takes to also just, you know, start a business. Mm -hmm. um, and, and one of the, um, after I did that for a while, one of the companies that I was advising the, the founder and the CEO, um, really we just started to grow that business so rapidly that it sort of led to us making the decision jointly really to sell the business. And um, that's where I got in front of some investors and specifically uh, private equity investors. Because, uh, and, and we did have a successful sale. And, you know, nice. so really. Congra congratulations. Thank you. 
So really one thing kind of in my career, I would say over the, that span, you know, almost 20 years of just kind of one thing led to the other. Mm. So a lot of people ask me, well, wow, how did you, you know, yeah. do the things you do? How did you get to where you got? And really it was not, there was a, a master plan. You know, it was very much like one thing led to the other. I mean, at the same time, you have to be really aware of what's going on in your career and what your opportunity, what all the opportunities are around you and take advantage of the next opportunity. But I wasn't always, you know, kind of strategizing and seeking things out. I was really more just kind of being really open to what was sort of like, you know, what lied ahead of me. And that's key right there, I think, for the listeners. As you're moving along, be open for opportunities. Keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open. And you never know how it's going to unfold for you. So yeah. at, some, at some point, were you working for an investment firm of some kind when they uh, looked to invest in Pet Plate? And then originally you were an investor or an advisor. Right. And then they, yeah, why, yeah go yeah. ahead. Walk yeah, once I, once I had the, the, the good fortune of being able to help sell a business um, and, and go through that transaction um, on the side of the seller, I was in a better position to then join up with the, um, in a, you know, in this case, a VC, a venture capital fund, um, to look at potential investments into nice. companies. And nice. so that, that's the transition I made there. And I really loved it. I was doing deal flow. So looking for new opportunities to invest in one of which was Petplate, and I was the person, you know, leading that transaction. So doing all the due diligence and papering the, mm -hmm. you know, transaction. And then kind of just as part of that model, we were kind of value add investors where we would put some sweat equity in alongside our financial okay. investment. And, um, and so I was working closely with the founder of Petplate. And after six months of spending time with him, just on the sidelines helping out, it became apparent, wow, you know, the founder who, Ronaldo Webb, um, founder of Pepe, single founder, really needed a business partner to help grow the business. Very hard to do that, you know, really on your own. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hard to hire at that stage because you're basically one person trying to get the thing off the ground. It's just like a difficult hire to make. So mm -hmm. it was just more organic because I was already kind of de facto partnering with him to help him grow the business because we had a, an interest in the company, right? Having just invested mm -hmm. some, you know, significant dollars, you know, for such an early stage business. So I was asked by Ronaldo and other members of the board, would I consider joining even on a temporary basis to partner with Ronaldo? I would be the CEO. He would be the founder and chief product officer because he had I developed the product. And I had more of a business background than he did in terms of, you know, just the collective experience of starting and running businesses or, you know, growing businesses. Um, so that's where we had a very good sort of complementary, you know, skill set and we're able to partner. And so I did accept the opportunity to join first on a temporary basis. And then after a few months, you know, everything was sort of clicking and, and then they turned to me and said, would, would you consider this permanent? And I said, sure. I love what I'm doing and it's a great opportunity. Well, did you see, yeah, but did you also say, well, hey, listen, I really wanted to, to be a partner in a VC firm and just work from one deal to the next. I didn't really want yeah. to get trapped, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I mean, for sure there were those discussions and I, it was easy for me to say yes to the temporary. It was a little harder for me to say yes to the permanent, mm -hmm. but when I kind of like step, step back and I looked at everything, I thought, you know, doing the, you know, the opportunity of actually being able to partner with someone and run a whole business and grow a business, that's almost like 
could be once in a lifetime, you know, yeah. in, yeah. in these circumstances. So, you know, whereas I felt like I could return to, you know, being a venture capitalist, working with other VCs. That's true. And, Good point. And, you know, doing deal flow. Like I felt that there's probably a lot of opportunity out there um, for me, especially if I had a successful run with Pepley. That, and yeah, I just that is opportunistic. Yeah. That's a great tip for the listeners. Let's take a deep breath right there and just kind of highlight the fact that what you just said is, Hey, if you get an opportunity to start or run a business or, or work in a startup situation and help build a brand, it, it literally could be a once in a lifetime opportunity. And if it doesn't work or whatever, you can always go back to whatever you were doing or go get another right. job. But those opportunities, they just don't, they just don't fall out of the sky every day. Right. right. So, so to your point, yeah, good decision. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'll be honest with you just to, you know, not leave any part of the story out and without getting into any of the, the details um, behind it is that, you know, the, a lot of times those opportunities, when they first present themselves, they're not lucrative, you know, right. Well, and most of the time, most of the time, most of the time, time it's a little, you know, you got to <laughs> take a haircut or, it's, you're taking Absolutely. Maybe, you know, a step back on salary, but maybe you're taking two steps forward on like responsibility, yep. raising your profile, you know, having really the opportunity to prove yourself at, That's right. and then you can leapfrog hopefully, you know, sometime later. And I've always had the, um, I don't know, I've, I've just been flexible and I've always been able to, I mean, fortunately I've been in a position where I was able to accept that, you know, there might be a bit of a, you know, sacrifice mm -hmm. on the one hand, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, you know, in favor of this great opportunity on the other hand. And your mind, I think it, it behooves people to think like that if they can and, and act like that when they can, because it can actually, you know, kind of catapult your career if you're willing to take that, you know, that short term kind of, you know, hit. Couldn't agree more. Great advice for aspiring entrepreneurs or people that want to be involved in a startup. Yeah. And in fact, I interview uh, founders all the time on the RiderFlex podcast and rarely have I talked to one that said, yeah, I left my regular job <laughs> and, join, and joined a startup and made more money the first two years. Like that just doesn't happen. Like you're exactly. going to sacrifice. <laughs> yes. um, can you, I want to ask you about some more CEO advice and maybe some board advice, but before we do that, can you give the listeners that don't know anything about Pet Plate, can you just give us a nice kind of overview of where Pet Plate is you know, today and talk about it sure. a little bit. Go ahead. Absolutely. So the company was founded in the fall of 16. Um, it launched nationally really in the spring of 17. That's when I joined as CEO. So we've okay. been in market for three years now. Um, we've grown our customer base really nicely. We have probably well over 10,000 customers at this nice. point. Nice. We do distribute nationally. Um, so into every state in the U contiguous U.S., Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're a series A stage company. So that means we raised a series A round of funding in January. I saw uh, that. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So we raised 9 million. We had previously that. raised, um, 4 million in a seed. And, um, prior to that, there was a, there was, uh, about, um, uh, $2 million raised in pre-seed money. So a lot mm -hmm. of money has gone into, you know, building the business. We now have a team of about 12 people. We are actively hiring. Okay. Um, we expect to get to 20 people by the end of the year. Um, I think we have about five to seven job specs right now out, out there in the, in the world. You know, so we are looking to hire some new people um, to grow the business. We were very lucky, you know, again, you know, to your point about the timing, um, you'd have to know that this is 
happening in the world of the pandemic. And the fact that we were able to close our round of funding January 14th was really just a blessing because it would have been very difficult and, you know, not impossible, but certainly what I hear, it's of course very difficult to raise money right now. And we did attract some really just incredible investors, including uh, the venture capital arm of General Mills, um, so the large food company, um, and a family office uh, called DF Enterprises. And they're both on our board and they've been just tremendous supporting us, you know, pre-COVID and, you know, during COVID and they're just great, great investors. Interesting, interesting dynamics to deal with a family office versus somebody like a General Mills arm, right? Yes. <laughs> they like they, they really like working together. I mean, of course, they kind of interviewed each other, you know, when they oh. were looking to co-invest in, in this round. And they, they felt lots of synergy. I mean, the family office, actually, the family behind the office is actually a large CPG family. I see. Um, so, okay. so that probably helped. But even so, you know, I think just in general that it was actually more synergistic, I think, to have two different types of investors versus two identical or very similar type that would maybe be butting heads. This, you know, kind of works out well. It's a pretty good, you know, I'd say diverse group. Great experience for you to have been the person on the other side investing and dissecting and asking a bunch of questions to the founder and the people there. And now all of a sudden you're yes. on the other table, other side of the table, pitching, asking for cash. Yes. And they're asking and they're asking you a bunch of questions. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Tables turned. That's for sure. For sure. Um, you mentioned uh, hiring and stuff. Let me ask you this, because at, at RiderFlex, as you probably already know, our, our regular job is a, is, a, is a recruiting firm, and we focus yeah. a lot on, on culture. I'm guessing you're, you're establishing your, your culture now um, with 12 people, and you're hiring more. What, do you, what is it you're looking to build from a company culture perspective, and how, how do you make sure you sustain that as you start to hire new people? Absolutely. And I should say, you know, our, our mission at Pet Plate is to take care of dogs' nutritional needs. You know, that's what we do. We, we are um, driven by, you know, feeding dogs the healthiest food that we can develop and, and, you know, in the most convenient fashion possible to pet parents everywhere. So we, we, we um, take very healthy ingredients, all human-grade ingredients, everything's natural, nothing's processed. So it's meat, vegetables, fruits, healthy grains, vitamins, minerals. We cook it in a USDA facility. So everything is cooked according to human food standards. And then all the meals are pre-portioned according to the dog's caloric needs. So based on their weight, age, breed, body, condition, activity level, we then determine how much food the dog needs at each meal. And that's how we pack the food into cups that would be, you know, portioned according to the dog's needs. Ah. And then, yeah, those, those meals get shipped to the customer on a regular basis. So, you know, sometimes if it's a large dog, it'll ship every week because that dog needs it a lot of food and they only can put so much food in a box and you can only fit so much food in your fridge or freezer. But a small dog, we probably could send a month's worth of food to that very small dog because again, they just have very small meals. So we can accommodate, you know, all the meals, let's say in a box. So it's a the, the shipping frequency varies depending on the dog's needs. And so there is a great, you know, convenience factor. Obviously you get the food sent to your door. It's already cooked. Um, you can serve it cold right out of the cup, or you can actually microwave the meal um, because the cup is, is microwavable. Or, you know, if somebody wants to get fancy with it, they could put it in a skillet and, and warm it up that way. Um, but dogs love the food. It's, you know, extremely um, delicious. It's nutritious. 
um, dogs see benefits, you know, very, very quickly. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's been a joy to um, feed dogs, um, especially during a pandemic like the one we're experiencing where, you know, people are so concerned about their health and their welfare and their safety. And so we're really um, in a great position to be able to continue to, you know, kind of fulfill our mission. Is your business up? Is your business up because people couldn't go to the store? Sorry? Is your business up because people couldn't go to the store? Are you up in sales because people had to order more online? Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, we have a, a not only an essential product that's in demand, you know, um, but we are able to deliver it direct to the home. So there's no barriers, you know, in that sense. And so our, our business has definitely grown. It would have grown anyway because we were investing more in the business this quarter, you know, after the raise, but um, in the first quarter and now in the second quarter. But we, I would say we've seen a heightened um, demand for the product and the service. Um, so, so, you know, one of the things that we're, you know, really, um, you know, very conscious of at Pet Plate is just the health and well-being of our dogs and, and the peace of mind that we can deliver to are um, the pet parents that we serve. And, you know, that's, that's really something that um, kind of, you know, basically um, is, is part of our DNA and it's very much um, guiding our, our corporate culture and that we're wow. really a mission-driven brand that, you know, we, we come to work to do one thing, you know, make dogs healthy and happy and make life easier for the pet parent. And, and that's very much the culture that we've created in, in the company is one of service and, and being there for our customers and, and our customers are dogs and people, you know, and, and so it's a very service oriented, you know, culture and a very collaborative one, um, you know, really working as a team and as a, as a unit, as opposed to, you know, kind of individually, you know, working in silos because we know that's not in the best interest of the, of the consumer. So if you're not health conscious, if you don't kind of, if you're not conscious about what you're eating or putting in your body and you're not an animal lover or an animal pet, pet owner, you're, you're probably not going to work there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. People, you know, really have to love pets to really, you know, kind of want to work, you know, with us. And, and fortunately there's so many, um, you know, dog lovers in the U S oh, there is no, no shortage. And what about this, you know, can you really define fresh cooked? I mean, what does that really mean? When I, when I saw that in your marketing, right. And I'm like, okay, fresh cooked. I'm trying to, does that mean like there's a, there's a chef like putting, making this stuff in a, in a bowl and a pan, and then it's going into a package for me, the consumer. What does that really look like? If you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we start with all USDA meats, vegetables, um, healthy grains, human grade vitamins and minerals and everything goes into a kettle and um, is slow cooked in a kettle. I and see. that's a big distinction from, from mass pet food, which is using what is often referred to in the industry as byproduct and meat meals and fillers. And so these are parts of the animal that are not fit for human consumption. Mm. What generally happens is it gets ground up and then it gets extruded and, and, um, and cooked at a high, high temperature so that it can be preserved for really years. So if you think uh, about kibble, why it's you know able to sit in a cupboard or you know on a shelf for years, it's because it's been cooked to such a high temperature, it's really been burnt. And that's why it can live outside in ambient temp for years. And the, the, the ingredients that go in 
um, are really, really inexpensive because they're literally the parts of the animal that don't make it into the human food chain. Or wow. even worse, it's, it's animals that were too sick um, to be wow. consumed by humans. So it's a really kind of an ugly story. And so what we do at Pepley, which is completely different, is literally take the same types of cuts of meat and parts of the, the you know, the, the, the different, you know, meat, um, you know, whether it's chicken, beef, lamb, turkey, um, we take the same cuts that would be appropriate for human consumption and um, all the same type of fruits and vegetables that humans love. So, you know, butternut squash and sweet potatoes and um, apple and, and, you know, broccoli. And we, we then in include the vitamins and minerals that balance the meal for a dog's diet so that the dog is getting the, the full nutritional, um, you know, the, we need all of the nutritional requirements of a dog, which wouldn't necessarily come if you were just to say to home cook for your dog. The, mm -hmm. the likelihood of you being able to balance the meal for a dog is very low, like because it doesn't really, you won't get all those nutrients that, that a dog needs through human food alone. You really have to supplement it with the additional vitamins and minerals that a dog requires. And so again, we use a human grade vitamin and mineral supplement, you know, same type of vitamin and minerals that you and I might eat, um, but we obviously compound it and um, mix it, you know, in the right proportion for a dog. And then everything, as I said, gets mixed in a kettle and cooked for, slow cooked for, you know, a certain amount of time, um, okay. but at a, at, at a high enough temperature to make sure that all the, all of the pathogens and bacteria get, you know, get kind of, you know, burnt off, but not so high that it also takes away all the nutrient value. So it's a slow cook process. And then what results from that is a really lovely, like one pot dish um, for dogs um, that has all the different, you know, ingredients in there and everything that gets filled into um, these plastic containers. And it's a hot fill process. So it means it goes in hot. Oh, it and does. A plastic seal that gets applied immediately. And by doing that, you really um, pretty much eliminating any sort of contamination that could occur because the, the heat um, is, is what makes it safe. And then, you know, the lid goes on top and that way when you're feeding your dog, you know, mo some of the containers have just one meal, but in the case of, you know, some size dogs, a container might contain two or three meals. Mm -hmm. And what that means is if you feed your dog in the morning and again at night, you'll be able to reseal that container with the lid. Um, so throughout the day or overnight so that the food is not open. Um, and that's a big di differentiator from our competitors. Um, all of our competitors, they have a similar, you know, the, the food kind of is similar in that it's, it's human grade and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, similar cook process, but they'll put the food in plastic bags um, so that once you open that plastic bag, you can't reseal it mm. and you have mm. to find ways of transferring it to another type of dish. It's a little more complicated. Um, also, our, our food, I would just say, is a better quality in the sense that we use the type of, I mentioned the cuts that, you know, humans eat you know, things like the muscle meat and, um, you know, liver, which, you know, liverwurst, you know, sort of, you know, people love that. Um, we do notice that our competitors will use things like gizzard and heart and kidney, things that aren't really palatable to humans. And we think are, in fact, not that palatable to dogs. And maybe not. <laughs> um, so it's a really high quality meal. And it's coming out of a facility that is making human food. So I like oh. it's the only pet food made in the facility that makes our food. 
Um, it's everything else coming out of there is human food, delicious, you know, stews, chilies, um, soup, that type of thing. Interesting. Now, okay. Now I want to give you a nice compliment here. And then I want to ask two business questions that I thought of, because I, I'm a pet owner. You sent me some samples and, and Ryder from Ryder Flex. Ryder is our mascot dog. So Ryder has been enjoying it, loves it. Um, and I've been easing him into it, just like you taught me. You sent me yeah. nice directions and just said, hey, let's, let's ease him into it. And he's, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it, first of all, he loves it. No problems. Yeah. My first thought was he's going to have uh, dietary problems. He's going to, you know, mess in the house or something because his, yeah. his, his diet's getting messed up. It's going to change. None yeah. of that. None of that happened. None of that happened. Didn't get sick. Didn't have any potty Good. problems. Nothing. Good. So, and loves it. So there's my compliment. And by the way, um, I also loved how it was packaged. Um, it just has such a nice professional feel. Then I, then I put my CEO hat because before I started Riderflex, I ran a couple of $40 million companies as a CEO. So I put my CEO hat on and I thought, okay, yeah. now let me ask for some business questions here. My first question was, man, this packaging is awful fancy. How much does this, how much does this right. cost? <laughs> right. And I'm just thinking the average consumer, because you were kind enough to send some to Scott, the co-founder of Rider Flex, and he called me right away. He's like, man, did you see this packaging? And I said, yeah, I saw it. I'm like, man, it's, it's super nice. I'm just wondering yeah. how much it costs. So how does packaging affect you is one of my, is one of my yeah. questions. And then my other question is what my second thought was, this is great. It feels expensive. Can I afford to, can I afford to move Rider to this? I don't sure. know. And so right. talk about, talk about the, the end price for the consumer and the packaging, if you don't mind. Of course, yeah. No, look, the packaging, um, it's one of the major components of our COGS, our cost of goods. I can um, believe it. I can believe but, it. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, all packaging costs money. Like, I don't know that the cups that we use are any more expensive than, um, you know, the, the various bags and containers that are out there. I mean, yeah. what makes it a little more expensive is that it is pre-portioned. So, um, but it, it, the equivalent or the analogy might be like for human yogurt, right? So uh-huh. you can get, you know, we use the same cups actually that a lot of the major yogurt okay. producers, you know, put their yogurt in. So, I mean, it's a little different now because we're all kind of working from home and, and eating most of our meals at home. But imagine, you know, when you're back, when you're out there and you're on the go, how many, like if you eat yogurt, you know, you're very likely to consume yogurt in a smaller cup. That's one serving, right? Um, You know, if you're at home, you might have a larger container of yogurt, maybe it's 20 ounces and it has a few servings. But I think, you know, generally speaking, people have gotten, you know, kind of um, conditioned to expect single serve portions and or at least, you know, smaller, uh, like fewer portions per serving or per, you know, per container. And really, we're just translating that to dogs. So what, what's I great see. about it in, and why people are willing to pay a little extra for it is that, again, it's a little different because we're all in this lockdown um, kind of mode right now in the U.S. But in, a nor- in normal times, like if you were to say, go, you know, run and uh, take a w- morning walk with your dog, um, you can throw that cup in your, in your bag and just off you go to the park. And when you're out, you can take the lid off and they can eat the dog mm. right there. Say mm. you're taking your dog to work, which a lot of people mm. do. Mm. And mm. you know, you're going to want to feed your dog at five o'clock mm. before you leave the office or the cup in the bag. So, you know, while you're just going to have to pay a little bit more for that convenience and it's not, it's not so much more than like the bowl containers that we could have gone with. Um, mm-hmm. We just know that people really do want to, 
have that extra convenience. And so, yeah, yeah, it wasn't as expensive as I thought, by the way, because um, it has such a professional, nice branded feel. I mean, the branding is great, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but to I your looked, about I, price, I know you wanted me to adjust price. I mean, yeah, yeah. So your, your listeners and your viewers know what to expect from Pepe. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, we have two types of plans, a full plan, which is that you transition your dog completely to pet plate. And that's the only thing that the dog will eat as okay. their primary diet. Then you might introduce, you know, a treat here and there. If in that case, the average price per day is going to be about $6 per day. Okay. Okay. So it's about $3 per meal. And that, you know, is going to vary. So if you have a chihuahua, you know, or a teacup type dog, five pounds or less, it's going to be a lot less than that. But like if you have three, a very like like three dollars a day for a little uh yeah for a small dog absolutely something okay. like three dollars a day if you have a really large dog a great dane you know a dog that's a you know 175 pound dog you can expect to pay more than six dollars a day oh. that's true of any food because those dogs yeah. can yeah. consume up to two yeah. pounds of food per day and this is a meat product you know it's very heavy on meat because that's what dogs really need then we do have another type of plan which is our topper plan which is where you top off your existing food or maybe your homemade food with our food and that's a great um option if you're if you are on a budget or say you don't want to move away from your current food it's you can mix it in about 25% um, of, okay. of their diet can be pet plate and then you can expect the price to go down accordingly. So, you know, instead of $6 a day on average, if you're on a topper plan, you know, you can expect to pay two or $3 a day, depending on okay. the size of the dog. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. So if I'm doing a little mixed deal for Ryder, I'm spending probably a dollar or $2 a day, maybe or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Very good. All right. All right. So, okay. That helps me a bunch. Thank you very much for sharing that. I appreciate it. Let me ask you a couple of questions here uh, before we run out of time. Um, CEO, first time CEO advice, just switching gears just a tad. I want to make sure. sure I don't, don't miss out on this for you. This is your first CEO role. So you've been in it now for three years. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there was some learning, learning pieces Absolutely. in there for you. <laughs> what two or three pieces of advice would you give first time CEOs? They just got promoted, um, especially uh, female CEOs just got promoted. What would you tell them here on this podcast? I would say open mind again, you know, just like we stressed, you know, in terms of um, mm -hmm. career path, you want to keep an open mind. I think that that kind of learning never ends. And, you know, one might make the mistake that a CEO, you need to have all the answers and everything, you, you know, you sh everything should be figured out and it's all up to you. And it really isn't. I think the yeah. best leader is almost like the opposite of that. They're like a sponge taking it all in from every direction, whether it be their, you know, their, their peers, their staff, their vendors, their partners, their, you know, shareholders, their board members. Like, I really do think you need to be influenced by the people around you to make mm. the best decisions. Um, but Great the second advice. point, um, if I had to give a second piece of advice, it would be it, it also to be decisive. Like, so by being open-minded and taking in getting input from all around you, you know, from the people you trust and the people who are also invested in the success of the business but, doesn't mean you should waffle and, you know, <laughs> kind of be so deferential that you'll just listen to anybody, you know, the next, the next good idea. I think you have to take all that input and, and assimilate it and, um, make, yep. make, make decision. you know, strong decisions and, and stick with those decisions and own them. And, and also, 
be accountable, you know, so, so I guess the third point I would, I would make is accountability. Mm. Um, you know, that's, that's the other piece. Like once you've made that decision, cause you had the best information cause you were listening to everybody. Yep. Um, you do as a, I think as a CEO, it's really important that you, um, are accountable for those decisions, meaning don't start to point fingers and, you know, blame others when things go wrong, because things will go wrong. And I think you have to be, you know, acknowledge the mistakes are made and they're made every day. And the way we learn is really from our mistakes and you shouldn't be afraid of making mistakes. And I think as long as you're, you know, willing to own up to whatever that mistake was, you know, be able to report out the learning and, and be able to kind of course correct and show how, you know, you can benefit from that experience, then the people around you should respect that and should, you know, kind of, you know, give you a pass and um, you hopefully don't make too many mistakes. But um, there, you know, that's the other piece is you just have to be brave and, and, and own up to it and not, you know, kind of, you know, uh, yeah, just, you know, shy mm -hmm. away from, mm -hmm. from, from decisions that you made, whether they were the good ones or the bad ones. You know, I can tell there's been some mentors and advisors in your life as you've moved along here, right? And so let's, let's talk about that for a minute, because now as a CEO, as an experienced CEO and an experienced advisor and board member, um, you're giving these, you're giving the advice and some of the mentoring that you used to get. Yeah. What advice would you give a first time advisory board member or just advisor? Maybe they just, they first time they were asked to be an advisor, haven't done much of it before. What advice would you give those folks? Um, again, I, you know, this might sound a little counterintuitive, but I would be a really good listener, an active listener. Okay. I think there's a tendency if you get, get, you know, if you're asked to be an advisor, you get put on an advisory board. They, they are doing that because they believe you have great input and you know knowledge and, and experience and skills that you can share and you should but you shouldn't come in with this um, the like a, the notion that you know everything and right. you're there to teach everybody how to do it and you know be kind of you know you want to really be mindful of not overstepping your boundaries as an advisor because there are people in the let's say in the business, you know, running the day to day, really have their eyes on everything. You know, what you're able to provide is some outside perspective and, and that's a good thing. And mm. that's what they'll appreciate that you have more of a bird's eye view. Um, but the only way you can really be effective, you know, when you are at a 30,000 foot level is to be an active listener and really mm. understand what are the challenges? What are the opportunities? You know, without getting into every detail, really try to understand what are those people going through? And then with your wisdom, your, your experience and your, you know, kind of knowledge base, you can then start to provide that high level advice because you're never going to, you're not there to run their business. You're there to give sort of perspective and high level advice, but it starts with listening, not, not with uh, talking. You know, you're pretty busy. Great advice, by the way. You're pretty busy because you're an advisor for a few different companies right now. And you're running your own company as a CEO and you're a mom uh, of a nine-year-old and so trying to manage a family how, how are you what advice do you have for the CEO that's trying to manage all this how, how are you managing your time how do you deal with that you know I think one kind of trick for me is like to try to compartmentalize things a bit you mm -hmm. know it is good to just have windows where you're committed to doing certain things at a certain time so like for me the work day 
you know, when it starts, it's, it's really all work. And then when it ends and I'm able, then I can switch gears and be with my family. I'm, I'm completely focused on my family. You know, I'm not checking my email. I'm not looking at my phone. Um, you know, once in a while there'll be an urgent message will come in. You know, people know if they need me urgently outside of sort of the normal working day that they can text me. And of course I'm, I'm always on in that sense. And my family is very, understanding and supportive but you you can get easily distracted and boy more so now than ever right when you're at home working it can all be together i think if you can create those guardrails and say this is the window where i'm doing this and this is the window where i'm doing that what's great about it is it allows you to almost like refresh and recharge and then when you go back you know switch back to the other audience you're kind of more um awake and alive because you haven't been mired in all that detail for so long you're you're you know you sort of you get renewed energy by you know the other audience so i think that's an important thing to do totally agree two last uh, questions here because i know we're almost out of time um if you could call that young lady coming out of nyu and by the way i love the fact that you put your year on your linkedin profile too a lot of people you know they're like oh i'm I'm afraid to put my year on there because i don't want anybody to know how old i am you know, I, that's, I think that's crazy. But coming yeah. out of NYU um, in 92, what, what, if you could call her today and talk to her, what would you tell her? I would say enjoy all of the different steps, you know, because it, it, it's so um, varied, actually, the life, you know, that you live. Like your early 20s is very different from your late 20s. Your early 30s are very different from the late 30s. And, you know, really just be in the moment enjoy that time in your life because it'll change like i think when you're in it you kind of get the impression like this is it this is what life is like but it's not you know it's constantly evolving so the more you can live in the moment and take advantage of what's in front of you at that time really stretch it out you know and get the best the most out of it the best experience you can because it'll life will go on and, and it'll feel different as you go and um and, and it's easy to be always thinking about the next thing. I think it's important to live in the moment. Great advice. Really love it. Last question. Um, if you could put your core purpose in life into a sentence or two, and I didn't let you tie that to family and yeah. kind of pu- pushed you beyond your immediate family and said, what, how would you define your core purpose in life outside of family? What would that sound like? I think it's to take care of the people around me. So like in my, in my business, I'm most concerned about taking care of my team because my feeling is if I take care of them, they're going to take care of the people around them. So if they're in the customer care, you know, arena, Mm -hmm. that that feeling of like my leader takes care of me, I'm going to now take care of, you know, Mm. my people, which is the customer. And it could, it goes on and on. Like if you think about like operations, you know, I'm going to take care of my ops team, but I know that they're going to then take care of their partners, the manufacturers, the the fulfillment centers, you know, the warehouses, the logistics, like it really does like spread, you know, that kind of um, Mm -hmm. empathy and that, that caring. And so that's my purpose. If I can get that done, then I know I've done, you know, good day's work. And I feel everything else should kind of flow from that. I think if you, if you start in the other way of like, I've got to make, you know, the maximum amount of money today, let's say, which is in the end what everybody would like to see happen. But if that's your focus, you could, it it could, 
you know, influence your behavior in a way that doesn't motivate other people or, you know, empower other people. So I think first about how can I take care of my people and then we'll go from there. Love it. Excellent. Gertrude, thank you so much um, for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story, not only your personal story, but about Pet Plate. Really inspirational. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a joy to talk to you today. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and to, uh, you know, get exposed to all of your listeners and viewers. And um, I'd be, you know, available if, if anybody needed to reach me for a question or, you know, any sort of advice. Um, everybody can find me on LinkedIn and I have my contact information there and I'm very responsive. So if anybody does want to reach out, I'm happy to talk. And petplate.com, by the way, petplate.com. Gertrude, hang on. I'm going to hit stop on the recording, but hang on sure. just a second before you hang up. Okay. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Thank you. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit RiderFlex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.